Welcome to The Business, live from Room 5. So welcome back to Room 5 for another podcast on healthcare topics. I'm Richard Keeler, healthcare partner with... Craig Buckingham Mandra of the Dental Team. So Craig, what are we going to talk about today? Today we are going to talk about buying and selling practices and some of the interesting quirks that come with that. Big topic. Very big topic. Where should we start? Should we start with buying a practice? Yeah, so I guess what we're thinking of is an associate maybe buying a practice, exploring all the things they need to understand about that, yeah? Yes, I think if we're looking at it from their point of view, there's going to be a lot of things that come with this process that they're not aware of and not experienced before. So I guess one of the first points is they need to make sure that they surround themselves with professionals that can assist, not only accountants, but We've got a group of people that we are quite happy to refer to in terms of providing dental specialist legal advice and for them to be able to get valuations on the practice to make sure that they are buying something at the value that it should be. Yeah, and I think to bust a myth as well on this, that, and I talk to associates about this quite a lot, that not every dental practice is right to buy. Because initially, if you think evaluation is always going to be based on prior year's accounts, from prior owners yeah. and and you know how that practice is run isn't going to mirror how our client may run it so i personally think the first thing they should do is actually with their account is drill into the accounts from the previous owner find out what the financials look like but the key thing is understanding what will that practice look like when it's been taken over so who are the performers who's going to be generating the income is the principal going to become an associate because then you've inherited a brand new cost and most probably very expensive cost um how much work is the associate who's buying the practice going to want to do in the practice as well? Another huge point. And obviously nowadays, the biggest cost most probably would be debt. Exactly. And I think that a lot of that is going to be whether the practice is principal-led at the moment or whether they have associates performing the contract. So that will impact, obviously, the profit of the business. Now, quite often what we'll do is take those figures and then try work them back to the scenario that is going to be what the buyer is actually going to develop running forward. So we'll do cash flows, we'll look at profit forecasts with them in performing if that's what they plan to do. Yeah, so we're going to, I suppose what we're going to look at is some kind of feasibility study, aren't we? Because, you know, the valuation pack is absolutely essential and, you know, and the valuation is the market value. That's why we use independence to do these type of things. But it's making sure that that business is affordable for our client. And fundamentally, they're aware of how much extra work they're going to have to put in to run this business, but also how much profit is going to be left after tax and repayment of debt. Now, repayment of debt is a huge point when you buy a practice nowadays. You know, you've mentioned practice values are high. One thing I think associates don't grasp sometimes, and I get it, is the capital repayment on debt is not an allowable expense. No. So, you know, they're going to pay all this debt back to the bank or a lending house, but they're going to tax relief on the capital element and the interest. So that's got to actually pay tax on the capital. So we've got to make sure we build all that in. So at the end of the day, they can see a feasibility study that shows profit available after tax and capital. So are they comfortable? They want to take all that risk and that's sufficient for them to meet their lifestyle choices. I think what we come back to is lifestyle, and it's nearly always what we come back to in these scenarios. Mm -hmm. So whether one, as you say, they've got the appetite to take on all of this extra work, but once those repayments are being made, are they going to have funds available to support their mortgage and their day-to-day outgoings, which is really important. Yeah, and I, 
do you know, I've always said to young associates that, you know, when they're not practice owners, and this most probably isn't a fair comment, you know, they can go in at eight, leave at five, and arguably that day is done. When you're a practice owner, you might go in at seven and finish at seven and maybe have to work a Saturday or a Sunday as well with all the other parts that business has to have and achieve. And actually, you're not earning any money potentially when you're doing that because you're not in surgery anymore. And I think it's understanding that part of being a business owner that, you know, you've gone from being a dentist to a dentist business owner, but maybe 30% of your time is now running a business. It's not actually creating an income and treating patients. And that's a big thing they need to understand as well, that, you know, they may buy a practice and it's risk and reward at the end of the day, isn't it? But they're going to have to put a lot more effort in. Do they want to do that? And I think that's our role to make sure we educate them and help them understand all that before they commit to potentially a large loan. And also they understand, you know, the effort they have to put in to make this practice work. Yeah, it's very much a risk reward kind of scenario. And however much they can put in will lead to the positive outcomes that they want at the end. The next step is obviously then once they've made a decision that they want to purchase this practice is how are they going to do this? What is the structure going to be behind it? So is it going to be through a limited company? Is it going to be as a sole trade or a partnership? Or what are your thoughts on that, Richard? Yeah, I mean, that's sometimes kind of dictated to us, isn't it, depending on the type of practice they're acquiring. So if they're buying an NHS practice, as you and I know, you're a bit limited as to how you can acquire that practice. So normally that'd be for a partnership or as a sole trader. Obviously, if you're buying a private practice, then let's be honest, fundamentally, we'd always be looking to get that into a company if it's not already in a company already. Yeah. If those assets aren't in a company already. So it is horses for courses a bit. I think it's us understanding what our client is acquiring. Again, going back to what that perception is of, of net income and then providing with a structure that will allow them to get the income that they need. Should we now look at selling a practice, do you think? Because obviously they're polar opposites, but there's very similar things between the two. But selling, I guess there's a lot more things we have to consider from a tax perspective. There are. And again, it's that lifestyle situation. So we're finding at the moment that with COVID just happening, a lot of people are reassessing what they want from their life and what their plans are in the future. So there are more and more practices coming on the market as people want to kind of settle up as a result of what has happened in the last few years. Good point, Craig. Yeah, I think, you know, COVID did create lots of uh, issues for all of us. And you're right, exit strategies maybe have been accelerated by some dental clients and and you know, dentists all around the UK. I guess when it comes to selling a practice, though, there's got to be a few core things that we must advise our clients. I mean, timing must be a key point with regards to exit, because when a client comes to sell a practice, particularly if there's an NHS contract involved, you know, that's going to take maybe nine to 12 months before it's actually going to complete. Then on top of that, nowadays, you, you may see that the owner may want the principal to remain at the practice for maybe two or three years. So it's interesting when you talk about succession with dentists looking to sell practices, they may think this thing is going to sell within six months, but actually the lead time could be as much as three to five years. If you go to one of the bigger corporates that are out there acquiring practices, they might try and tie in for five years if you want to maximise your sale price. So, you know, you may have a dentist who's early 50s thinking this isn't actually something I need to consider, but maybe they do if they're going to be tied in for between three and five years. Yeah, and I think the other thing that we need to to look at is the profit margins and where we're at. So timing as well needs to be based off what's happened in the last few years within the business. 
Is it trading at its maximum capacity? Are things going well? If not, is this sale process potentially pushed back a little while? A focus is really put on efficiencies, how the practice can be made as profitable as it can be so that when we come to market, this business is in its best possible position and we're achieving the best sale price possible. Because doesn't that link with cloud software, accounting software? Because I guess, you know, if you've got a practice that needs to show really strong growth, if it's going to go to value and be sold, they're going to need some live data, aren't they? And I, you know better than anyone, Craig, you know, you're our zero champ. I guess there's lots of things that zero could provide. Yeah, definitely. So we've got a client of the minute who has come to us recently who wants to look at selling this practice. And one of the really key things that he wants to look at is where his profit is month on month and yeah. check that things are going in the right direction. Now, with cloud accounting software, the benefit is, is you've got live data there that can be worked with. We can do profit projections from the live data. And that might be key in determining when that sales point is. If we've got targets that the client is wanting to work to, we can get bank feeds set up and have the information coming straight into us. We can then analyze that on a monthly basis and really provide some useful reporting to help them make their decisions going forward. Yeah, so what, I suppose what we're saying is we have this software available. The client can see where the business is moving to and then with our guidance, we can agree a point when the business should be valued. When the client has decided he's kind of capped out, it's the, best, it's the most he can do with this business, we can get the business valued, you know, the dental values are out there and then and look to go to market. Good point, yeah. Exactly, and obviously the other thing that you've talked about is the length of time that these processes yeah. can take. So... If you've got a position where the sale is agreed or in principle, the framework is set up, obviously between the point of when that practice actually is sold could be a considerable amount of time. Now, there's going to be an expectation from the buyer that there's some live data that yeah. they can then monitor to make sure that while that transition is happening, the practice is continuing to operate in the fashion that they've agreed the purchase based on. And, you know, and overriding all of this, we mustn't, you know, ignore the, the tax gremlin in the room. So, you know, if you're coming to look to sell a business, there could be substantial tax to pay on exit, capital taxes. But there's kind of a few ways we could sell a business. So a, a sole trader fundamentally is is capital gains tax. But if we sell a company, obviously, we've got a few options, haven't we? So, you know, you've got what share sales. So you, asset can, sales. you can look at share sale or an asset sale. Now, a lot of that is going to be driven by the market and how and the purchases. And the purchases. Sometimes. And the purchases. Well, if they enough. Yeah. Yeah, right. and, yeah. And how many people that you have interested in yeah. the practice. Yeah. So if you're looking to sell the practice and you've got quite a lot of interest in it, you're potentially in a position where you can dictate the terms a little bit more. Yeah. If we kind of touch on what the differences between the share sale and the asset sale are. Fundamentally, kind of the share sale is a singular transaction where a lot of the liability is taken away from the seller. So they're selling the company as a whole. There'll be certain indemnities that they have to provide covering off previous performance to ensure that things have been treated correctly. But it's a little bit more of a clean slate. And in well, the benefit exit. is they get all the cash, don't they? Exactly. You know, they sell the shares, they pay their tax under whatever capital tax is applied at that time. I think I've told you the story before. We had a client last year where we had a, a big corporate came in, wanted to buy the corporate, but they want the assets. And it was going to be an asset sale, but 
you know, we looked at the transaction and there was a benefit to the tune of a couple hundred grand for our client to sell their shares. Now, it did take the corporate some convincing. We had to um, kind of have a chat with them about how best we could do this so it didn't kind of hinder what they wanted to achieve with the acquisition. But we did it and it just shows that, you know, if you spend a bit of time looking at how we're going to dispose of these businesses, there are right and wrong ways. I think that's the key. Yeah, yeah. Getting some advice early on and doing that planning yeah, position and having a clear structure of how in the ideal scenario you would wish for things to progress. And then as potential buyers come to the market, you can adapt that and see how much room there is to work with it. Yeah, good point. So, Craig, look, we're, there's, there's a lot of data there we've gone through. I mean, I think the key points we've raised is it's essential you get the right specialist advice early on so you can establish the best way to sell this business, maximise your income, minimise the tax charge. But it's also, I guess, understanding what you're going to do when you sell the business. You know, are you going to become an associate? Are you going to retire completely? And the other thing we're seeing is obviously some of the big corporates like earnout arrangements where they factor in KPIs to the sale and they could be deferred proceeds. So absolutely, you're going to be tied in the practice. You want to be tied in the practice because you want to make sure the practice hits those KPIs Yeah, definitely. to make sure you get paid everything you expected. So that's kind of, I think, what I've taken from this today. And um, yeah, it's been interesting discussion. Thanks, Craig. That's brilliant. Yeah, I think that kind of covers all of the points. So thanks, Richard. That's brilliant. And we look forward to speaking to you again from Room 5. We hope you enjoyed our latest podcast. To download past and future episodes of The Business live from Room 5, join us online at www.lovewell-blake.co.uk.